This is Convo by Design with interior designer Lorna Gross, a super chill creative with a hyper-focused approach to customer service. And isn't that really what's important right now? I think it bears repeating because it is super important right now. A super chill creative with a hyper-focused approach to customer service. Think about that for a minute. Regardless of your job, designer, architect, showroom manager, publicist, fabricator, journalist, the approach to customer service is pretty much the only thing of which we have total and complete control, isn't it? As Lorna and I talk, try to figure out if she's so chill because she controls the role or because she controls the role that allows her to remain super chill. Either way, it's working. Living in a chaotic world where product doesn't come on time anymore, and that's the new norm, not the exception. Where people are polarized more than ever before, where politics has invaded every inch of our space, and there is no longer a delineation between working hours and personal time. To find something over which we still maintain and remain in control. That's a gift. Editor's note. After my conversation with Lorna, I changed many of the ways I work. A publicist recently blew me up pretty good during a a weekend. I did something I rarely ever did before. I can't even, I can't remember the last time I did that, but I didn't answer. Don't get me wrong. Like you, I work on the weekends. I edit, produce, plan, but I have come to realize that there's a place for everything and we must keep everything in its place and work more so than I think anything else, right? It was hard at first, but now I understand the importance of keeping certain rules in place. Lorna does too. This is a masterclass on the professional habits that allow creatives to remain creative, productive, and successful. And she is a master at it. This is Lorna Gross. Are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do. So you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check it out. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. 
Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. No, this is beautiful. See, I, I knew that you were going to be the type. You were going to be the one to say, no, I have no questions. Let's just hit go and that see what happens. That is so ridiculously dangerous. Wait a minute. You're making me second guess. <laughs> no. No, listen, because if nothing else, we have learned over the last 10 months that the this virtual platform has got to be our friend. Have we not? Yes, amidst other things. And we've also learned, you know what? We have no choice to go with the flow because all of your plans don't matter. <laughs> Plan plans? Plans don't matter. What Just are plans? <laughs> what are these plans you speak of? I have no idea what a plan is anymore. Um, I am thrilled to be sitting down with you. I appreciate you taking the time to do this, Lorna. The, the first thing I wanted to do is because I am a huge fan of the backstory. And uh -oh. no, no, uh oh. Um, <laughs> I, I love, I, I like to hear in your own words sort of the how you got here, the why you got here, why you chose, mm. why you chose this profession. I've learned that there is no real one way that designers get here. Um, there, there are no wrong ways. Um, yeah. And there are no d predefined right ways. And I, I feel like I ask the question a lot. And I ask the question because, especially now, it is so important for people to share the experiences that they have. And the only thing I can, I can compare it to is years and years ago, I used to work for Playboy. And, <laughs> and I was the... Um, I I hosted the Playboy radio interview. So the inter this doesn't like, sound like a podcast discussion. This sounds like a discussion over drinks, but go on. <laughs> you are so right. And I just keep going and going with the longest story that seems to be going absolutely nowhere. But here's where I'm going with it. Okay, every year, on. every year, the Hollywood Bowl, the Playboy Jazz Festival, jazz musicians from across the globe, the biggest names in jazz used to mm -hmm. come out and perform for, for two days in the round, all these bands, it was the coolest yes. thing. So I had a chance to sit down with these legends of jazz. And one of the things that was so important to these guys is the ability to sit down with young artists, share what they know, explain how they got there, share the pitfalls, um, the joys and the failures, and I feel like where we are right now, this is one of those things that is so important. And that's why I think the origin story is really so important. So, you know, with that little backstory, how did you get here and why? Right. So I'm going to tell you that story. And then I'm going to, then I want to circle back to the jazz artist and just remind me about being in the flow. Okay. 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 So, um, so basically, you know, I'm, I'm just a girl from Louisiana, right? Small town. Um, one stoplight. <laughs> okay. All and right. for entertainment, we used my friends and I used to um, to ride the ferry back and forth over the Mississippi River because that was just about all the entertainment we could find, right? Um, so I say all of that because I did not know when I was growing up what an interior designer was. Like that was not even that that term wasn't even a part of the conversation. I didn't know what an architect was. 
but I didn't even know that this profession existed. Um, all I knew was that I wanted to make sure that I could support myself and I wanted to work in a, a reliable field that allowed me to be a little creative. Like I knew that I was creative. So I chose marketing and I took the path to work in corporate America um, and went to Chicago, I worked for a um, large pharmaceutical company there. And, um, but along the way, I just kind of knew I was doing quite well but I also knew that something was a little off. So my company sent me to a, um, a week long session, with other executives from different uh, industries around the country. And at the end of the week, the counselors are like, okay, so um, you've got some really high scores, but you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for a living. And so I'm like, okay, so what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Cause I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I kind of knew that. <laughs> and they're like, we can't tell you, you got to figure that out for yourself. So my story is I, 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 I go back to Chicago, I get off the plane and I go to Barnes and Noble, they're open till 11. So I'm like, okay, I'll just hang out there for a couple of hours and see if I can find a book too that would help me. And I found a book um, that actually took me on a path of self-discovery and discovering my roots, my family, my grandparents, like what were they into? And in essence, when a six month period was over doing all these exercises, everything pointed to interior design. My mother was a, a teacher, but she was also a part-time seamstress. So there were all these textiles around the house, beautiful colors and all of that. And then my father was a contractor. So there were always also all of these floor plans and, you know, um, construction materials, tools and all that kind of stuff. And he would often take my sister and me to the, to the uh, hardware store, you know, as a little adventure. Um, and so I always loved the smell of lumber. So, you know, all of these things started by coming to fruition and I'm thinking, okay, all right, this, this looks good. Um, so I did, I did do some research. I interviewed a few people and I decided I was going to go back to school to get my interior design degree, which I did. Um, did that part-time while I was working. Um, and, you know, I tell the story that when I decided that I was going to change careers, I immediately thought, oh my gosh, I've wasted all of this time, you know, cause by then I had gotten the BS in business. I had gotten the MBA in business. I had been working for a long time. I had, you know, escalated in, in my company. Um, and then now I'm completely switching gears. And the one thing that I do remember thinking too is this is something I really want to do, but I don't know if people really respect this profession as much as they respect one that I'm in. So that was a whole nother like psych psychological conversation I was having with myself. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I remember saying to my mother that the only thing that will stop me from doing this is if I'm not courageous enough. Because particularly at that time, you know, the generation that preceded was like, okay, you've got a good job. You know, you get all these benefits, you get to go on these trips, you get stock options. You're not going to give that up, are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give it all up. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think to your point, um, what we all have to do is, is bet on ourselves, right? Because we know, we know to some degree what our capabilities are. We take that information and we take the information that people have said about us, you know, about the things that we excel at and maybe even the things that we need to improve on. And we put it all together and we go, okay, what can I do with that? What is the best fit 
for how I can capitalize on this particular skill set. And then, you know what? If, if I love what I'm doing, even better. So that's really how the journey for me came about. But it's, it's really interesting. No, please go ahead and say that. I just, I think it's really interesting because you had that moment of fear, that moment of trepidation, oh. that, that moment, you know? Yeah, and I, and I think that there were multiple moments, but one of the things that I've learned even more over the course of the past couple of years is to hone in on what your gut and your intuition is telling you. Because sometimes it is not logical. It is not logical. What you're being driven to do just makes no sense. Why would you walk away from this? Why would you do that? Everything, all the logic is in this column, but then everything that is sensory in you is sending you in a different direction. And that's, that's what usually supersedes logic, even if we don't have the answers for how it's gonna work out. And what I love about the way this conversation is going is you started talking about uh, the jazz artists that you talked to. And um, I used to sing jazz a lot, I had a mentor. And she would always say that you have to live in the moment that you're singing. So the jazz artist never delivers the song the same way twice. If they're doing it right, it's virtually impossible because you never have the exact same feelings that even you did minutes ago. But then what you're creating is artist, artistry every time. And it's just a different interpretation every time. And so what we were talking about earlier was just being in the flow, right? And so the flow is sensory. The flow is not what's written necessarily on a piece of paper. So I, I, love, I love that. I love the example. And it's, it's funny because what it reminds me of, I completely understand your point. And when I was with Playboy, I was doing these interviews. So every year, the, Holly, the Playboy Jazz Festival would come around around Father's Day to the Hollywood Bowl. And basically what it was, was it was this two day, I don't know if you've ever been or experienced it, but it's a two day event at the Hollywood Bowl. Each day is Saturday and a Sunday. And it was, host, it, was, it was hosted by Bill Cosby for decades. Um, and then the last, I, I wanna say four or five years, it's been George Lopez, who's done a masterful job, really magical, he's great. But they would have <clears throat> all of these artists. It was, in, it was basically a revolving stage. So in the band shell at the Hollywood Bowl, they'd have an, a, a band, an artist, a group, and they'd play and then they would play out as it turned. And then the next band who set up behind them would play in and George would walk, George would walk <laughs> out and do an intro and an outro. And it was beautiful. And then, it, so it would just keep going the whole time. Love it. It really, a, a, an incredible event. And every year when they would come around, I had this opportunity either to go interview them live at the Hollywood Bowl or catch up with them ahead of time. So I'm, I'm talking to all of these jazz greats and one conversation as you're talking comes to me just like a, a gust of air straight to the face. Um, I was talking with Wayne Shorter and the guy's a legend. He's an absolute legendary jazz music, musician. And we were talking and the conversation went from the music to growing up as a young man and learning, learning and, and practicing his craft to space aliens. And I realized, yeah, it got weird. It got really, really weird. And um, 
I remember at the time being a little intimidated by it and almost a little scared to kind of go with the flow because he's talking about space, space aliens. You know, the, the first inclination of someone like me is to kind of try to stay in my lane and bring it back to the music. And I thought, you know what? If he's going with space aliens and that's where we're going, yeah, let's go there. And, and I learned a really valuable lesson that sort of takes me back to today where, you know, nowadays, did you ever think that simply walking outside you'd have to make a choice. Is this the right thing for me to do? Should I be doing this now? Should I? To your point where you're like, I'm in business. I put an investment in time and energy and money into business. I have, a, I have a safety net. I have a backstop. I could keep doing this for the next 30 years, but would I be happy? Mm-hmm. Making that, that fundamental shift, that flipping of the switch and, and going to something that is more suitable for who you are in finding happiness, I think is magical. And do you remember the moment? Do you remember the moment where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do this. And then do you remember the moment that you had the first success that lets you know that you had made the right choice? Mm, good question. I actually don't remember the moment that I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. I feel like they were probably little moments along the way. Um, but, you know, as I, as I think back, there were a lot of different aspects of my life where I was either a first person or the only person. So when I look back and think about, you know, for example, when I was working in corporate, how many times I was the only woman in the room? how many times I was the only black person in the room, you know, and going even back to high school. I mean, I was, I grew up in small town, Louisiana. So, you know, there were so many times that I was the only one. So um, I, I had a coach, Kim, Kim Cutable, a couple of years ago. And the first time that we met and we talked, she said, Lorna, you're an outlier. I was like, I'm an outlier. I don't want to be an outlier. But then I really got it. Like, you know, my whole path has been wiggly like that. And I think that when it when that happens, then when you do something that's a little different, it's not as out of the ordinary for you as it might be for someone else who kind of took the straight path. So I can't necessarily say that there was one moment that I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm just gonna like, you know, this is kind of what I do. <laughs> um, I do things a little differently, even though I wasn't necessarily thinking about that consciously. Um, and the moment that I knew that I was um, in the right place was when I got my first $100,000 client. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I can make a living doing this, you know, because it's kind of it's kind of hard to get there when you aren't coming from a background of having a strong elite network. Right. So if you're doing high end interior design, you want to be part of the country club crew or you want your aunt to be, you know, very well known in certain elite circles so that those connections can be made and the introductions can be made. Um, So that wasn't necessarily a part of what I was coming to the table with at all. Um, So at the point where I got my first $100,000 project, then I was like, okay, I'm I'm on the way. And and with that, and it's funny because in a little bit, I want to do uh, sort of an exploration into your work 
and I do this. I don't know if you uh, I think I you're supposed that. to get people forewarning when you say stuff like that. <laughs> I love that look of absolute fear on your face. You're like, okay, what? Um, a little note ahead might have been helpful, but we'll just go with it. We're going with the flow no, today. I, I, it, you know what's funny? You know what's funny is I don't do that um, ever. And it's not, it's not for sake. It's funny. You're the only person that's ever said this to me, but it's, it's, not, it's not a gotcha moment, right? I, I don't do gotcha. Um, I don't ever ask anybody anything that they don't know the answer to. Um, what I love to do, you know, prior to the pandemic, we've all learned how to do business a different way, right? So prior to the pandemic, I've been doing this podcast now for it's eight years. And the number of conversations that I had in a virtual environment, you could count on one hand um, mm. in, in that in seven, six and a half years. Since March 13th of 2020, the number of live interviews that I've had was one. And one of the things that I've learned through this experience that I absolutely love is that I get to go to your website and I get to look at your projects. Mm. And I look at them for, for really one thing. I have one kind of purpose in mind. And that is I have learned over time, when I started doing the podcast, I would ask this question, not stupid, but just pedestrian. What's your style? What's your favorite, you know, what is your design style? What's your ethos? What's your aesthetic? And that's basically like asking a jazz musician, you know, what's your favorite song? Mm -hmm. Well, they can't tell you what mm -hmm. their favorite song is yet because it's in their head. It doesn't have a name and it's an improv. Yes. Yeah. And it's usually the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. designers are storytellers. Mm -hmm. You have in, within design, you have the design, which is the storytelling of design. And then you have architecture, which is the language of design so that you yes. put the two together and you've got a, you've got a tableau, you've got a composition. So what I love to do is I love to explore with designers your work because I love to see the through line. The styles would all be different. Like if I challenged you, if I, if I said, here's an English, you know, a 1930s English traditional, or here's a 1960s mid-century modern ranch rambler, or here's a Spanish revival from the 1940s, you could design within each one of them. Yes. They would all be magnificent. And what's interesting is if you explore them, they won't be the same. But what you'll find are fingerprints. You'll find mm -hmm. through lines. Mm -hmm. yes. you'll, you'll find that, that essence of your work that I think, to, to me anyway, that's the excitement for me is discovery and finding what that is. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I do it. And what's interesting for you is, you know, and I know that, that designers like to be, you guys like to be in complete control over the environment. You want to control the reveal. You want to, but you're also in an industry. But you're also in an industry, but you're also in an industry where control is something that very rarely do you ever have can have within your grasp. I think that, you know, that is such an important note. Um, and I try to share that with aspiring designers because there are so many moving parts to what we do. And um 
it's interesting because really 10 to 15% is the creative and the rest is figuring out how to get it done. And so when you come to this profession, yeah, you have to have good taste and you have to know how to pull a design together, but boy, you better be good at logistics. So, um, you know, for me, I, when, when I started, I, I did a lot of these things, you know, myself and I had one team member now and my team is larger, but I'm always looking for people who can balance both. Cause yeah. it really is, um, it's a very large part of the equation. And as you said, so much of it is out of our hands. So much of it is out of our hands. This is discontinued. That's back ordered. You know, this came in damaged. Okay, so then what are you going to do? And I think also the other part is um, when I when I hire new team members now, also I look for positive energy. Because what are you going to do when the sky is falling? How do you react when the sky is falling? Because the sky is going to fall. The sky is going to fall pretty much a couple times every week. <laughs> and so you just want to be, be solution oriented and always be in that mindset like, okay, sky just fell, but just a little bit. We're going to fix this. We're going to raise it up. It's going to take us a couple minutes. We're going to raise it up. And I want to point out too, that the sky, the sky's not falling, but clouds are falling on a regular basis. And look, if you order, if you specify a rug and you order that rug and it's not the right color because your assistant never got confirmation from the from the the homeowner the client and it got ordered it's on you um that is oh, this yeah. is the this is the this is one of those industries where when something happens the the most successful designers that i've that i've had the pleasure of interviewing have told me in no uncertain terms when there's a mistake i own it um it is what and it is and, it. I, and i own it and we fix it and in most cases <clears throat> the client will never know that a mistake was ever made. That is very true. That is very true. And I share that with new clients because I tell them, look, I'm just letting you know, there's all these things happening behind the scenes. The only time we're going to bring it to you is if there are options that we need you to choose between the two solutions. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to unload that whole problem on you and go, oh my gosh, you know, this is what just happened. Can you believe it? We're going to do the due diligence of figuring out how we're going to fix it. And then, you know, most of the time it's, it's not even something that is shared. And one of the things that I really am excited to share and explore with you is you, Lorna, you are absolutely fearless in your design. Mm. You are. And the, the first thing I want to do is... I want. I, I love that this is. You're you're so tentative. You're dubious. You're you're like, okay, where is he going like, with this? I mean, you know, it's I, I and I. But I'm enjoying the conversation because the thing is, um, many years ago, because it, it takes you a while to figure out what your whatever aesthetic is, um, and as you said, there are certain commonalities that are threads within all of the design that you do. And probably around year three or year four, the word unabashed came up, right? Like, so, yeah. okay, so, and I'm in I'm in DC and I was trying to figure out like, why am I here? Because nobody really appreciates the design that I do <laughs> because it is, I'm not gonna say it's necessarily cutting edge, but it definitely has um, a boldness to it. Um, right. and it's not your typical traditional classic, you know, like 
old school DC kind of style. So whoever comes right. to me is I, I just know that they're looking for something different. Right. And different is where we're going. So can yeah. you see, can you see your website? Yes, I can. Okay. I love this. <laughs> when I, when I, when I talk about fearless. Yes. Um, and this is really where I want to go. So I'm looking at the first project I kind of wanted to go to explore with you mm -hmm. is this Arlington, Virginia townhome with a, a herringbone mirrored backsplash. I've never seen that before. There, there may be, they may be in existence, but I've never seen that before. I am, I absolutely fell in love with this. Um, <laughs> I, I love everything about it from the way that you have the Lucite bar stools juxtaposed opposite of that to, to the, to the fixtures, to the finishes to the to that range and oven this is not this is not by any stretch a large kitchen but what you've done is you have you have jam-packed as much luxury into this small space as you possibly could have and and i'm i'm a fan um and i absolutely love it and i'm and i'm curious when it comes to this how did the conversation come about how did the clients respond to this? And, and the fact that there's the little details, right? There's the paneling on the, on the refrigerator that just, mm -hmm. if, if that was a stainless refrigerator, it would have totally clashed with the mirror. Thrown the whole it, thing off. Yep. It, it would have thrown the whole thing off. It wouldn't have worked, but you figured out a way to sort of put this whole thing together and make it work. So when you're talking to the client, I'm just curious when you say to them, so we're going to go with a herringbone mirrored backsplash. <laughs> right, right. So, so first of all, let me just say this. I love your eye because your eye is very analytical. Um, you know, many people won't notice all of these different tiny little details. And that's really what the best in interior design is, you know, and, you know, from my perspective, I never want to do anything that's cookie cutter. Like I, I just, my, my clients, if they if you go to somebody else's home and you see something that looks like what you have, then I have totally failed. But um, I love that you brought the topic of stories up and, and telling the client's story because this client, and hopefully I won't get emotional when I explain this, this client was one of my very first clients. Um, she and her husband came to me in you know, my first year of business and I was immensely appreciative. This is their second home and um, he passed a few years ago and he was her absolute love of her life. So when, before he passed, they had a conversation and he said, okay, after I pass, I want you to redo the home, you know, like you want it, like you want it done. So what you're seeing here is a woman who is taking full ownership of who she is in this moment in time. And she is saying, I am going to make this home everything that I am. I am going to let it be elegant, let it be a little feminine and bold, and I'm going to own it. And so this was kind of the journey that she and I were on while this home was in development, while the design was in development. In, when you look at some of these details and you, and you called out some in the kitchen, um, that wall where you see the upper glass cabinets, that, that opening, which is now passed through, that was a wall. 
And where you see the arch windows, that's the Potomac River beyond. So, you know, from my perspective, I was like, why aren't we going to open this up so that when you're in the kitchen, which is where you spend so much of your time, you can take in what is the most valuable part of this property. And it's the view of the Potomac River. Georgetown University is just on the other side. I mean, it's just a striking, it's a striking view. Um, but in opening up the wall and then putting the cabinetry with glass doors on both sides, you can see through that the light is really taking over all of the space. And then once again, for, for a small scale kitchen, that is where that glass uh, and mirrored backsplash is important because we're still bouncing light here. And um, one of the things that that I, I always get a kick out of is what I think of as the jewelry in the, in the kitchen, which is the hardware. So one of my favorite things is actually the hardware on that refrigerator. Cause that is to me a huge piece of jewelry, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and then the gold finishes, I think it really calls out um, all of the other details that are in the space. You know, you, you've got this quartzite um, exotic stone countertop paired with this industrial blue stove. So it's like, you know, um, what I think is cool about this space in particular is that there is a balance between the masculine and the feminine, right? There's yeah. a little bit of elegance here, but there is like, you see the grounding of that stove is like, no, I'm holding my space though. I'm holding my <laughs> space. What you're not gonna do is you're not gonna walk by me, <laughs> right? And this is, this is the journey that, um, that she is on. And um, I, I, I feel honored and privileged that I was able to, to take the journey with her. And so as we're talking about this, we're jumping into another space and I see another through line, another, another couple of through lines. If we're looking at this, at this living room, I'm looking at that chair and it's mm -hmm. reminding me of the oven and it's holding its space. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And you've got the same practical approach with, and I'm, I'm gathering that this is on the other side of the kitchen because yes, exactly. I recognize the windows. Yes. And so you've got, you've got that, that blue carried through. And that really is that, that pop of color. I think you've also got it represented on the walls, but again, you've got this through line in the, in your design. It is a, it is a fearless approach to the space and this is it, it's it's emotional it's really emotional mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and you know it's emotional um it definitely makes a statement of yeah I'm, I'm here and i'm not afraid to be here and show up as my whole self but then it's also comfortable you know because who wants to live in a in a home that you can't relax in so you have that really so that comfy sofa and, and i love how you're getting the close-up of the blue chair and you can really see that velvet um and how cushy that is. And that's a swivel chair because just to um, the, just adjacent to that is a, um, a, a television wall TV that's, that's um, encased in a really pretty cabinet also. So I like, <laughs> I like beautiful things, but I also like them to be practical and functional. Yeah, and and look, it's the detail too that I that I find so interesting in in the story. You've got the starburst represented in the rug, and you've got the starburst represented in the in the light fixture as well. That that beautifully exquisite light fixture is is amazing, and again, it's not 
as you go through the through the space, it's not matchy. It's not matchy matchy. It's it's all it's highly curated. It is. And one of the things that, you know, this is totally, this exposes me so much is I have a love for metallic. <laughs> I could tell. I mean, you know, this is, this is Hollywood Regency. This is Hollywood glam. You know, that really is what we were going for. And, and I, and she, and, and I have to say, just like all the, all designers, you know, their clients are really so appreciative right now because they're spending so much time in their homes. So for everyone who got their homes completed before COVID, good for them because she's enjoying her home very much right now. I bet. I love that. And moving from there into this greater London residence, mm -hmm. um, the first thing that drew my attention was because that's the image you led with is the outdoor space. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at this out, uh, this, this outdoor space it's, it's activated. There's so much going on. I'm just curious, can you walk me through the footprint and explain yeah. to me the, the outdoors? And especially, you know, you think of London, you don't, you don't think of California lifestyle, spending yes. all, that, all that much time outside, right? Well, yes. And that's why I love this space so much. And I love that the client was willing to kind of walk on the edge because this is not a typical English garden. No. <laughs> you know? So I worked very closely with a, um, a landscaper from Italy to design uh, what was happening here in the backyard. How were the furniture, how was the furniture um, going to be laid out? And I think that he procured the most gorgeous artistic um, foliage that looks like it could potentially be a piece of artwork. But um, what you're seeing on the lower right-hand side is you're seeing the dining area. And the dining area just beyond it is um, a grill beyond that. And I kind of, and I, and I should say, I kind of see this outdoor as the, in the same way that I would see an indoor, right? Zones for the home. So you see the dining area. And then just beyond that is the, um, is the playroom. If you go down a little bit, you've got the, the playroom with, the, with these um, nesting chairs. But beyond the nesting chairs is an outdoor pool table. So that's kind of like the playroom rec room, right? Mm -hmm. That's that zone over there. You've got the dining. And then on the complete opposite side, you have the living room, which is this huge comfy sectional. You put your feet up. You, you know, it's gorgeous at night, by the way, I should say, you know, because it's, it has this beautiful lighting um, just in front of the hedges there. And um, with this fire pit, it's just a lovely place just to kick your feet up and enjoy. And so with the fire pit, you can enjoy it for a longer portion of the year um, than you would normally think of in England. Did you have to travel back and forth to do this? I did. You did. I did you enjoy that? Um, I did to some degree. I mean, my, my um, children, I have children. So, um, you know, it, it becomes a little bit difficult to be away um, so much. And I think that um, what, I, what I've learned from doing these projects long distance is, you know, which I think everybody's learned over the course of the past year is how to do more things virtually. Yeah. Um, so all of these capitalizing on technology really helps you to streamline the process and then save some of the time. But um, 
I always like to be on site or have somebody from the team on site when we were doing construction. And there was a decent amount of construction associated with this particular project because there were walls that had to be removed. There were stair rails um, that were replaced and, and um, different elements like that that were impacted. When you did this project in, in another country, it's, it's, you know, it's the same thing as if you're working on the East Coast and you're working on a project on the West Coast. Do you, do you try to incorporate the indigenous materials? Do you try to incorporate local product? Um, or do you, do you like to stay, not necessarily with what you know, but do you stay with what you've become familiar with? it's a mix is it yeah um you know when i think when i think of that particular project um you know the things that we didn't want to ship <laughs> honey we better find them locally um so you know the the tile um you know in the bathrooms and there were there was a lot of um decorative tile that you know had uh, metal in it and and, and gold um, accents so that was procured and sourced locally. There's a wonderful design center there in the uh, Chelsea area, if I'm not mistaken, mm. of um, London. And um, and so that was actually a kick just to, to go there because I love the different perspective and also to just kind of see what the different um, offerings were. And so I did try to use as much as I could, particularly in the built, the built environment. Um, those materials were almost all of them were sourced locally. And um, then some of the furnishings, most of the furnishings actually came from the US um, from some of our relationships. And then there were some just kind of like, you know, one of a kind pieces here and there. We put a lot of wallpaper into that home because the client really loved it. And some very special um, hand knotted custom made rugs to add artistry to the flooring also. Um, but interestingly, you know, that, that particular client is a Middle Eastern client. So you can see some of those influences there as, uh, it's not ornate, but there's a little bit more fluid detail and organic detail than you would typically see, uh, in a, um, project of the UK, I, I think. Shifting gears on you for a second. Um, because you you are a you are a whole home it, when it when it comes to residential you are a whole home designer you are inside you are outside you know many interior designers really stick to that you know idea that philosophy that nomenclature I'm an interior designer if it's outside I don't want to do it the same way that many landscape architects and designers will do the outside. Don't talk to them about inside. They like it outside. <laughs> because you're covering both, because 2020 was what it was and we're into 21, which is, you know, it's starting off the same way. There yeah. has been, there was no Salone. There was no KBIS. There was no, you know, I mean, you name it, design event, insert here. There yeah. was none of this. So if, for, for the industry, that really traditionally has been the lifeblood of the industry when it mm -hmm. comes to discovery, specification mm -hmm. of new mm -hmm. product, new materials, yeah. really seeing what's out there and then incorporating it into, into your work. How yeah. do you, how have you been doing that? 
You know, it's a it's an interesting conversation, and you know, to some degree, it's kind of sad. I don't think that um, we as designers started getting hit really, really hard until the fall, like feeling it, feeling that, like, oh, something is missing. You know, where is that inspiration coming from? So, you know, we are relying a lot on what we see published in magazines. Um, we are relying on, you know, internet searches, searches. Fortunately, our design centers are open, um, particularly here in DC, but there's also a, a, a lack of spirit. There's a spirit that's missing. There's an energy yeah. that's missing. It feels like fear, <laughs> you yeah. know? When you're moving around, it feels like this is not quite right. So. I do think that it is a bit of a downtime, and I and I think that for myself, as you know, as well as other designers that I that I chat with and I'm friendly with, we're all trying to figure out where we're getting our inspiration from. So I do find myself reading more uh, design-oriented books. I find myself spending as much time outside as I possibly can, and mm -hmm. um, you know, I even when it's cold, I like sit in the chair and I just look up, you know, at the tree. It's like, oh, hey, there's a squirrel, um, you know, but <laughs> it's like right now, um, right now it, it, it is, it's the little things. Um, I recently did a, a guest editorship for Designers Today uh, with Jane Dagny. And one of the articles was about the little things. Like it's, it's, it's not these extraordinary moments, these extraordinary things that are giving us a lift during this time. It's like all of these tiny little things like, oh, yeah. Hey, that's a that's that leaf is interesting, you know, or that hey, look at that candle burning and smell it. So, in a way, it's actually even an opportunity to remember what we'd forgotten. You know? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And and in addition to that, remember what you'd forgotten, but also to learn and and experience something new. I equate this to you know someone who who becomes blind. Um, there's their other senses kick in, you know, their mm -hmm. hearing um, yes. becomes yes. better. The, the, mm -hmm. the other senses sort of kick in. I think that, that we have lost um, when you talk about inspiration, you know, in, in a long time doing this and having these conversations, the number one source of inspiration has, has always been, since I've been doing this, it's always been travel. Yes. It's always been travel. Yes. And that clearly is something that hasn't happened. And because of that, it has forced people, um, designers to sort of look inside. Mm -hmm. And I've been having amazing questions um, answered by designers. Like, what does that design smell like? What, mm -hmm. is, what, is, what would it taste like? You know, what is, what is the experience for people now, knowing that the idea of home, you and we sort of started here and we're kind of ending here as you step outside, that's a different experience. We don't step outside and listen, you're in DC, talk about things that haven't really happened in a very, very long time. You're experiencing things where you live that again, makes people kind of think twice about what what is normal. Yeah, and you know, when I was sharing with you about the, the local design center, I was there yesterday. And I'd, I'd run out to go you know, grab a sandwich and I'm going back in and I just realized, oh my gosh, these doors don't have boards on them. 
So what a lot of people from outside our area didn't realize is our city was boarded up. You know, the cute places, the not so cute places, they were boarded up because we didn't know if there was going to be some violent incident here. So the Washington Design Center, that whole building had been boarded up for months. And there was what would normally be a 12 door building around the corner became one door. Mm. And it was very sad and it was scary. Mm -hmm. It's like, is this what we've become? So it kind of, even if you're not fully living in that space, it just kind of makes something churn in your stomach that is unnatural. Yeah. And, and there's a feeling of um, not being safe. So I think that, you know, here in particular, we're not just overcoming the pandemic, but we're overcoming a lot of social and political unrest, um, which I, I hope that we're getting on the other side of. Well, and that being said, and this is probably the, the best place to take it and wrap with is what you do is that idea of home is different now than it, than it was. I think there's a sense of appreciation around the idea of home more so now than certainly any time in, in my lifetime. You know, mm -hmm. you can point to certain things like the financial crisis 0809 or 911. Um, you know, in Los Angeles where I am, I can tell you what it felt like in 92 during the riots. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the first time that I could remember um, fear and trepidation when it came to leaving the house. Yeah. And with that, you just kind of have to understand. Siri's jumping in on me. I don't know if you could hear that or not, but Siri was jumping in on me. Um, but in 92, that trepidation, leaving the house was the first time that I felt that. And I, I yeah. haven't experienced that before until, yeah. until now. So the idea of what home is, is so much more important. And I'm, and with that last question I have for you is what are, what are your clients asking you for now that maybe they weren't asking for a year ago? Everything. <laughs> there is no one answer to that question. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll, and I'll just segue back to what you were just saying that um, I think that the privilege of working in this profession is this, which, which it took me a couple of years to discover. We are in a profession of healing, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. because what I've learned is that people, whomever, like I shared with you, you know, my the the woman who lost her husband, who needs a lift. You know, we've had people who are who've come out of serious medical conditions who you know need a lift, and now we're in the middle of a pandemic. People need a lift, and you know what? How cool is it that we can do that? How cool is yeah. it that, not that just that we can do it, but that we even get paid to do it. And at right. the end of the day, we can say, oh man, I might have made that person's life a little bit better, their day-to-day -day life. You know, when they're walking around their home, they get to see whatever, that backsplash, that wallpaper or whatever. And it just kind of, you know, gives them, it's a, it's a little bit of a light in the day. So for me, I take that role very seriously and um, so, you know, to answer the, the other part of your question, I think that, you know, right now clients are asking for kitchens to be remodeled. Um, 
I we're doing a we're working on a Cary Grant club room right now in a ori in an Orient Love Express, that. you know, feel. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got um, we're redoing home offices um, and making them into studies, sexy studies. So it's a fun time because everything is being thrown at us. Like there there are no limitations, and um, I think that that's that's good energy for us. It's really good energy. And um, I think that being able to deliver something that can potentially improve someone's quality of life is, is like the cherry, cherry on top. I could not possibly agree with you more and cannot thank you enough uh, for taking the time to do this today. And I'm really excited, Lorna, because um, in addition to this, you're also gonna be coming back and moderating a panel for us oh, yes. shortly. And I am super excited about that, but, um, you know, day to day, right? One day at a time. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you thank for doing you this. so much, Josh. It was so much fun. And um, hey, if you ever wanna wanna hang out again, let's do it. I still have to hear more about that those Playboy stories. So <laughs> maybe that means we have to do a virtual happy hour <laughs> at some point. Oh, oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> but I but I will tell you this: um, some of those experiences will not be shared on the podcast. Um, but I will be happy to share them over, over a cocktail. That is not surprising. <laughs> Thank you, Lorna. Loved our chat. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for presenting Convo by Design and Thermosol. You guys are the best. You're remarkable partners, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening. Without you, I mean, seriously, what's the point? There would be no joy in this. As you may have noticed, Convo by Design is bringing you design talent from all across the country. It's not just about LA and New York, but New Orleans, Dallas, and Denver too. We are so rich in talent that sometimes we miss some of the gems. Keep those emails coming. Email me with show suggestions and feel free to suggest a designer, architect, or other creative you think the editorial team should be aware of. Thanks again for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm -hmm.